it, it signals two things. It signals that this idea does work um, to VCs who are, are very visual creatures. And also, it also signals that the team is technically technical competent enough to bring this to the next level. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours, but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserve. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth. Until tomorrow, no code becomes the next big skill that changes the future of humanity. That's what I'm all about. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from an ethical hacker to a European Ivy League business graduate to a hypnotherapist to a growth marketer, I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. The No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter are for the makers and founders who have the proactivity, perspective, and persistence to go on this journey with me and get the answers about money, marketing, and mindsets so that makers become earners, earners become founders, and founders get freedom and create wealth. And thank you all so much for the support. This podcast is now ranking nicely on Apple in the entrepreneurship category. Top 200 in San Francisco, top 60 in Germany, top 50 in the UK, top 30 in Sweden, top 25 in Italy, top 25 in India. So please keep rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing. My guest today is Kichin Go from Red Hat Linux Administration to the DigiPen Institute of Technology, from being a lieutenant at the Singapore Armed Forces to a machine learning engineer at Garuda Robotics to a founder in residence at Entrepreneur First. Kitchen is the co-founder and CEO of Datature. Datature provides a platform for training and developing deep learning models without a line of code, pure no-code. This platform is trusted by leading companies and research institutes globally, from object detection models to image analytics. They enable companies and researchers to leverage cloud computing without the CUDA and Tensor mismatch errors. They were awarded the grand prize of $60,000 at the Rolls-Royce Data Challenge. They are the winners of SFFX Switch, Slingshot 2019 Consumer Startups, Top 12 Global Startups by Startup SG, and Top Rising Startups on Tech in Asia. Basically, Datature is a no-code machine learning uh, tools enabling other founders and companies to build image recognition pipelines. And Kitchen won three hackathons back-to-back, which is super cool and very impressive. How are you today? Hey, Aziz, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me today. It's my honor and a very, very happy moment for me. So to give people some context, can you share the story of who you are and that made you the person you are today? Sure. I think uh, since young, I was always interested in uh, computer programming. So um, I started as a Linux administrator. So I went to school learning about cybersecurity. 
um, prior to moving on to uh, learning game development over at the Japan Institute of Technology. However, uh, in Singapore, the industry for drones, industrial monitoring has always been growing. And I see a lot of similarity for uh, game development, especially in uh, sectors like drones, uh, robotic automation. And that's where I eventually became. And not long after, uh, the machine learning wave caught up and a lot of these skills, mathematical skills, uh, programming skills are applicable to machine learning. And, you know, I made once again another pivot uh, into the machine learning engineering space. And that's where I am today. Wonderful. Then how did the idea for Datature come to you? Yeah, so I think that's a, that's a pretty long journey of how Datature seemed to come about. But it seems to, all stories seem to point to when I was a entrepreneur in resident or founder in resident over at Entrepreneur First, uh, basically one of the top accelerators in Europe and in Singapore. And you would see that there are many founders uh, in the accelerator starting AI companies or rather image recognition company where they do uh, image recognition from um, crop detection, could be for tumor detection, x-ray. And these are brilliant startups out there that have been trying to strive for uh, market fit profitability. However, one problem that I realized was that they always depended on another machine learning engineer to be the CTO and co-found the company together. And it was soon after the program, I realized that there are many suitable candidates that had a great experience in the medical field, in the construction field, etc., that left the program empty because they couldn't find any co-founder or a technical machine learning engineer to help build their business. And that's when I really thought, uh, hey, there should exist a no-code tool out there for image recognition at least um, so that these founders could start something awesome on their own. Wonderful. Now I have a really burning question. One of two. Who is now the biggest um, like number of segment of users for Datature? Is it more institutions or researchers or scientists? Or is it those founders? And second, is this the most meaningful segment? Because what happens is each avatar or each segment should have its own marketing message. So I'm asking you two things. Who is the biggest uh, or the most profitable user for Datature? And is it really that um, startup beginner or founder who needs the services that give them image recognition and all that stuff? Well, I think that's a great question because it's one of the more conflicting questions I've or we as a startup have always thought about. Because on one hand, you have um, the startups, the entrepreneurs, or the researchers who who needs this software more than larger corporates do. Um, but however, they have yet to prove certain profitability. And of course, uh, they will always opt for the pay-as-the-go or they will opt for some free trial um, before they, you know, before you will see profits uh, from these users. And on the other hand, you have um, larger companies who are well capable um, to hire a team, build, um, build a machine learning engineering team. And they have um, larger, you know, expenses and uh, revenue uh, to support these kind of endeavors. However, you know, for if I were to compare between the larger corporates, you know, perhaps like Rolls Royce, perhaps like uh, some of the local government companies who are using our software, they can always seem to pay more, pay longer. Uh, but on the urgency front, they are often not as urgent as um, these startup founders, these uh, researchers who are on the who are on the groundbreaking um, point where they just want to implement something quick. And it's always a dilemma to us, you know, both as founders and as well as business people in the field. So to give a succinct answer, 
um, the people that need this the most are the startups, uh, the researchers. However, the people who um, seem to account only for 20% of our revenue are the same segment of people as well. Okay. So to ask you another thing, which is important, which one is more meaningful? Which one, if you had problems or you needed to stay three days without sleeping, you'll have more motivation to work that hard work in order to serve the researchers that are doing groundbreaking work and the new founders and entrepreneurs? Or is it the big companies with the big box? Well, I think the people that speak up to us the most are really the startup founders themselves who happens to be researchers or, or researchers in the past. Um, and I think these people are the people that, you know, that as a company, we would like to help out the most because um, my co-founder, uh, Denzel, is from uh, a PhD program that, you know, later on took his research to spin off uh, into my company. So, you know, o- on one hand, if there's anyone that we can really solve these problems for are these um, researchers turned startup founders that really have not much idea on how to productionized, you know, uh, some of the technologies that they have. And, you know, those are the people that we would really, really, um, as you said, stay up all night just to help them get something up. Great. So then to ask you, what is like the issue or problem? Uh, Like, do they not understand that they need this? Or uh, is it not yet profitable? So you're looking for a way to make this a bit like more and better at giving you the revenue that is necessary for your company to continue and to grow? Or what is the thing that when it comes to those researchers who turned into founders, what issue is there so that I understand? So when it comes to commercializing the no-code product like ours, the biggest problem is that the cost, you know, like it's easy to use. Um, However, it's not always easy to pay for because there are a lot of services that are running the background that are being offset to charge onto the user itself. So as an example, like if you were to start a training um, for say a machine learning model, say it's a model that wishes to detect if there's a pothole on the ground. Well, such a training could take upwards of maybe $300 to $400, uh, maybe USD. And you know some of these researchers, they, they might not have that much budget in the first place to try out certain of these things. And of course, there, there exist free options, right? Open source methods to train those things. But they face another dilemma again. You know, they have to start uh, going back to the textbook, start going back to the tutorials to start coding things out for themselves and make this whole training for themselves in the first place. And I think one of the more difficult things uh, when it comes to servicing this bunch of um, people that we say, hey, uh, the no-code tool is for these makers who I need. Uh, the no-code tool is for um, the people with um, the imagination to come up with the next cutting-edge AI product, but they do not have the technical skills yet. Um, I think one of the common things that we have to think about is whether they are financially ready to embark on this journey as well. So as much as the no-code um, developers, like uh, the no-code makers like us, um, would like to help these developers, you know, it, it's kind of like conflicting, conflicting sometimes that uh, we are unable to help them because of their profitability issues or rather our profitability issues um, working with these people. Of course. Then by the Pareto principle, by definition, there are in those 20%, 4% or 2% or something like that, that are profitable, yet they are new 
startups founded by researchers with an imagination. Do you have such a pattern that you notice so that you can describe which kinds of people who are both new founders and they tend to have enough money for to cover your profitability, which is very important, of course? And or did you explore the possibility that some bigger companies or institutions could subsidize your work with the founders with promising ideas, but they don't have the budget? Yes. So that, that does exist as well. So for most of the researchers that are, are paying um, the full price for the software um, that allow us to continue working with those people, they are usually funded by the institution themselves. So as an example, we recently sold uh, kind of like a one-year deal with a researcher that does drone research. And for his drone research, he simply says that, hey, this is the amount of target I'm going to reach. I'm going to build this uh, pipeline on your platform so that in at the end of one year, I'll be able to present it um, you know, at certain conferences. And using this kind of justification, they were able to get um, funding from the school um, you know, to fund our work at the same time uh, to help them. So I would say it's kind of like a growing segment. I believe pushing for uh, no-code tools um, to researchers or to any buyer, really, is about conveying value and conveying that you know, certain price points are worth uh, the time, right? Because you're you are, you are saving time, you're saving time from uh, learning certain things, you're saving um, effort from having to hire other research engineers uh, in return for uh, a higher upfront cost to use platform like uh, like ours, like DataTrail in this place. So yeah, they, they do exist and uh, they are they seem to be a growing segment, at least for now. Great. Well, founders don't have really zero money. So to understand, do they, like in general, if they wished or they needed to pay for you and they needed to redirect resources and money from other things to you, theoretically, is this possible or they don't even have enough to cover the costs of your uh, platform? One thing I've realized about um, the newer startups that that seem to have um, budget constraint is that they always struggle between um, deciding whether um, the initial team or the co-founding team should uh, just spend money on the early no-code tools, right? Like Webflow, like um, maybe MailChimp for most of their marketing activities, or you know, really to defer it to just one other person who could be the Swiss Army knife of um, the startup itself, and of which that guy will be paid to learn in both cash and equity, of course, um, to pick up those necessary skills. And they often end up to be tech leads or they could be the CTOs at the end of the day. But I think with the conversations that we have had with some of the startups or researchers and um, founders later, is that we realize that um, they do have a dilemma in in a sense that is the product that DataTrail bring forward, is this no-code product that we bring forward supposedly supposed to replace a computer vision engineer or is it supposed to assist a computer vision engineer that they have to separately pay for? And I think it's about conveying that um, that value or that purpose of uh, our tool uh, that it causes some of this um, it causes some of this discrepancy in uh, expectation when it comes to engaging company like ours. If I understood you correctly, it's two things. One, those founders believe they need a co-founder or a person that they will give equity in their company who is specialized or has expertise in. Uh, image recognition and the work that you do. And second is they don't understand whether your tool is just an extra platform to give to that person 
that will be a co-founder or an equity shareholder for them to do their work better, or they can replace and not need such a person through using Datature uh, by itself. And what is, well, the answer then and your comment on this? So I think the answer for, or rather what the product or what we strive to do at Datature is really to um, for the founders, at least for the perspective of from the founders, is to um, really allow the main founder person to really do it himself. So at some level, yes, we are hoping to replace the need for uh, someone with equity holding position or cash holding uh, position from even having to join the startup in the first place, which is the original motivation of as to why uh, this we gave birth to this product in the first place. Thank you. Can you comment on average the cash position and the equity position in those companies is on average how much or not? And second, well, why don't they understand this? Like what is holding them back from seeing you as a viable uh, replacement to that CTO or co-founder that will do this themselves? So at the original program I was from, uh, Entrepreneur First, uh, equity split is usually 50%. So um, if a founder were to find a technical co-founder at the program, uh, they will often split it uh, equally. So, so that's, the, that's kind of like the norm. Um, on the other hand, on how founders perceive products like this, I, I really believe it differs a lot because currently with the founders that we've spoken to, we've spoken to about um, 20-ish founders who are currently trying our software right now. I think about half of them see it as a way to replace the need for um, an early tech lead or an early machine learning engineer. On the other hand, um, some of them sees it as a tool that could potentially aid um, or lower the amount of experience needed uh, for their next hire. So I think it's pretty diverse at this point. So it really depends on how the founder think of this whole situation themselves. Great. To ask you more specifically about the researchers with great ideas, do they come from universities or like what kind of researchers are they? Second, is it mentioned anywhere in your website that you help them either uh, replace the need for that technical co-founder or make the job of their next hire easier? And you said, you know, one example of a project will cost them maybe $300 or something like that. Can you comment, like, what is the budget necessary to use your product in a good enough way for a founding team or a founder of a startup? Like, so that I have an idea of the costs. So it's three things. If you need me to repeat, I can. Or if you had notes, just please comment. Okay, I think I will start uh, backwards. So... When it comes to the cost, um, on average, because we charge as a we charge as a pay as you go model. Uh, on average, people pay about three point two thousand USD per month or on the platform, and it covers kind of like the early um, model training and hosting, so that they can build um simple MVP applications to test or show uh investors. And as to the if I get the question correct, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that um for this researchers turn founders they do not have in in some sense they do not always start off the journey uh, from universities uh, with a large amount of budget in the first place so most of these founders you will see them um, they are largely bootstrapped or they are largely dependent on an acceleration program to provide the initial pre-seed fund um, to fund their ventures but from which um, some of those money you know they are are meant for hiring um, people like um 
research engineers to do certain literature review. Um, it could be used to hire um, certain lawyers to start drafting some documents for incorporating the company. And when you look at the budget that have left for no-code tools, uh, it's not just for us, but for, for technical tools in general, you realize that we only account for 25 to 30% of their early budget, which might not be a lot to start with. I love this. Let's focus on this. Three things. One, you mentioned the pre-seed or the uh, getting private equity, I think, or venture capitalists. So to make sure, one is what does your platform offer them an ability of prototyping or of creating what they need for venture capitalists that is better than them learning it themselves if they had the time let's say they had all the time well maybe you offer them with less bugs or better looking or better quality or more impressive something like that for the private equity presentations uh, the other one is you said it's on average 3.2 thousand so how is that compared to uh, a co-founder or a hire that will do a similar thing and third is there a larger percentage or significant percentage that is interested and has the goal of getting that early seed investment or not? Because you said, well, they might need a lawyer to incorporate, etc. Well, do they incorporate just to have a legal entity or are they intending and preparing themselves to become people who will uh, literally get to that early stage, uh, early seed investment, and then get their uh, first um, slices of and second and third of private equity and venture capitalists? Mm. So I think in terms of um, the MVP, I suppose where we come in is um, the fidelity of the MVP. So um, off the start, because we expose um, production level tools, uh, must as, a, of course, the no-code drag and drop interface, um, the users often, or rather these startups, are often able to create um, models that are beyond um, expectation of um, these VCs in the first place. So I, I could give an example. So we were helping a company train uh, pothole detection on the roads uh, of, of, you know, in, in general. So and the model was so well performing that it actually outperformed the model that they had trained um, during their research. So. In, in this particular instance, the model was about 93% accuracy. So accuracy isn't the best way to represent a model, but in this case, it was a pretty good model. And, and because of this, they were able to build just a very simple web interface, uh, wrapping around this whole thing, upload a video, show the VC, show the pre-CV, uh, show the, the VCs that, hey, you know, if you upload a video or if it's a live stream, this actually works. And this works because we don't have to care about the kind of architectural setup in the back end, you know, like the real-time setup, the high bandwidth setup, you know, we, we don't care. We just let data share take care of it. And and because of this, you know, it, it signals two things. It signals that this idea does work um, to VCs who, you know, are, are very visual creatures. And also, it also signals that um, the team is technically technical competent enough to bring this to the next level. So when it comes to cost versus hiring, I think we are still cheaper than hiring a machine learning engineer. So a machine learning engineer here in Singapore at least go for about 4,000 to 5,000 USD. And that's pre-taxes, you know, pre -taxes, pre um, manpower count, everything, right? It's, it's pre all the, 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 the cost that you have to foot you know, of bringing one person aboard. So, you know, we managed to price it in a way such that it's just about 20 to 25% 
below how much you will have to pay for summer either way um, to make the decision, you know, hopefully uh, to use data trade instead of hiring someone clear and of course, uh, same. So the last question, you know, you ask about the money they spend on legal entity. I guess for researchers moving into um, the startup space, I think I would have to clarify is that um, they spend a lot of money on um, like IP patenting, uh, some of their research, you know, going back and forth with universities um, as they are trying to commercialize their research. I, I think that is where they spend the most money. I think just to incorporate a company in most countries is pretty cheap nowadays. So I think, yeah, it's really about um, setting up some technical legal framework for their research and to commercialize that costs really most of their early budget. Great. Then I'll ask two things. One about the IP. Do you make the process or the ability or the development or, and the uh, of their IP in a way better or the next level or uh, superior in some way if they use Datature even through that process or in a way that will impact it in somehow? And the other one is, well, let's say Datature didn't exist. About their MVP, you said it's superior. Do they know, do they realize coming in before even using Datature that they will end up with a better visual, better technically sound uh, MVP that will impress private equity and investors? I mean, do they know this or is it something that they should they get to know after they begin using it and get that realization, wow, this can be useful for this. And also about the process of IP, whether somehow, some way you can be contributing positively to them getting um, more advanced or better or more impressive when they go through the IP process to protect their IP. I think our involvement, it's quite minimal when it comes to um, you know their IP or commercializing of certain research. I think uh, those research or those patterns are more at the architectural level. And what we do is we replace a part of that that um, that architecture, which is perhaps their machine learning uh, engine, the machine learning model, and we kind of speed up the way that they can quickly test it. So I would say we don't really come in to, to help them get the process done faster. We just help them prove that this can be commercialized earlier. So because as you have already found out uh, that, you know, all these VCs, they always want to demo, they are visual people. And I think it's always interesting because uh, my answer to, you know, like if data trade didn't exist, um, you know, and that perhaps the demo isn't of high fidelity, I, I, I think it's kind of like a pleasant surprise for, it's always a pleasant surprise for both the founders and the VC itself. Um, but perhaps it's because we don't have much experience um, with the pre-seed stage, uh, we, we weren't around. But it's what we see, it's always, um, they had something in mind. They had low expectations of it uh, because, you know, traditionally they were trying to do it themselves. Uh, they couldn't scale it up to make sure it works live. So it's always some video. But what we do is because uh, we bring the architecture to them, we bring the kind of setup, uh, the live setup to them. They were able to then change from a video demo to a real-time demo. And... That really changes the atmosphere uh, in during the pitch, and we have seen that live. We have seen it. We have seen this startup pitch live, and we can see the the reaction of these uh, VCs are different. So we say, on one hand, while we don't speed up the IP application process, we help you prove it, prove commercialization faster and better, of course. Great. Why is that speed of proving that it works important to them? I want to hear it from you. 
And the other thing, do you have, like, do they, it's, you said this is a surprise. Do you speak about it to potential? Okay, not even that. Let's go even a bit backwards when uh, I'm not like, you can comment on anything. I, I hear you're taking notes. Please take and comment on things. Don't cancel. But uh, to ask about this work, what is the percentage of the people, the 20% who are founders, who seem to have that interest or need or desire to create an MVP and uh, pitch it or present it to investors? Mm. So I think I'll just uh, maybe personal answer for uh, the high fidelity portion. So I think a lot of times uh, when these researchers, they come up from, um, they start to spin off their own project in, as a startup, uh, into trying to go into the market, I think they 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 do tend to lack a lot of experience in um, perhaps the private equity scene, and and it's very clear because the the many documents they prepare are either always too technical, uh, they end up showing PDFs on stage, and 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 you know you tend to feel for these people because you you they they know what they are doing, um, but it's just that the VCs don't the VCs never really understood um, what they are trying to make and. At some at some level, it's about we do communicate with the founders at least whenever they they speak with us and say, hey, you know, we are trying to commercialize this research. We try to um, make a web app. We try to make a phone app that could detect certain things in real time. Could you help us with it? And you know, the conversation tend to always skew towards um, the demo day, right? The big day for these people um, looking to raise either pre seed, seed accelerator, uh, whatever it is, and. And during those periods, uh, you know, of trying to work with these founders, you realize that their expectation of their own MVP change as well. So it's not like they started um, anywhere with any expectation at all. In fact, if you were to tell any researcher that they could pitch on stage with just their paper and a PDF and an archive link, they would do it for you. But the thing is, you know, more often than not, um, it's part of the journey for them to discover what um, they could do with your two at the same time. Right, so I I would like to give an example here. So I would like to fall back to um the pothole example, right? The startup um tried to build websites, so of course they would use other no codes too, you know, just to build like a visual website to introduce um their new company, and of course they also use um some very simple drag and drop builder for uh phone apps, where in the backend they will connect to perhaps our service to predict those things, um for them, and on demo day. Um, in fact, they were supposed to run through a video pitch of which a video of the app is actually being shown. And instead, I think one week before, they changed it to demo it live. And on stage, they were holding that phone, shining that phone on a video of a road with some potholes. And we, we believe that everyone in that room was impressed at the same time. And it helped their chance of getting funded. It increased their chances of getting noticed and things like that. So I, I think... What I'm trying to say, or what I'm trying to comment here, is that a lot of these um, people who have uh, first-time founders uh, using no code to build, it's kind of really more of an exploration and learning process than a process where they are trying to say, "Hey, let's just use no code tools to get from a point A to point B the fastest." I think that's not what where they want to start from. I think they just want to discover along the way. Oh, you know, what else could I have done with this too? Yeah. No, this is beautiful. First, that story, you need to document it to even create like um, an emotional video documentary where they speak and then there is like even uh, interviews of the VCs and you need it, that's necessary. And second, can you create some kind of training that is specifically for the demo day so that those founders who don't even understand what they need 
can discover both how to prepare well to get the investment because those people will pay definitely whatever is necessary if they know you're helping them get that uh, investment because it's it's not small it becomes negligible whatever you're charging and throughout the way you let them discover how um, as a bonus or a secondary so it's not the main message the main message is we help you prepare for that demo day if you had it even at any point in the future we help you get ready and know exactly what to do and how to prepare and throughout the, the way you help them discover understand and learn about the usefulness of datature and therefore they will associate it 100 percent of if I want to shine during that demo day, like that story, then Datature is for me the way. Is this possible that it's your content marketing is not focused on you, but focused on that VC? Not, I'm not saying this has to be your whole marketing, but a subsection, like uh, a subsection, like Datature demo day <laughs> training, and then you have a course about this. But it's always having the product placement of Datature in it everywhere is this a possibility you know this is this is something that um uh, uh investor once said to us and i i, I like i think it's very interesting because i try to take a moment to think because it's kind of like deja vu to us and i guess what you said at the start of the podcast is true uh that you know a product like ours tend to have to cater to different segment of the market and different segment of the markets market differently and this is definitely something that i uh, have constantly been warned to um very horizontal, no-code, platform-as-a-service type of startup like us. And I think we have had people, not just from the startup community, really, but from companies with uh, innovation departments saying that, you know, hey, you know, like, you know, we have this data, but but even before using no-code tools like yours, we don't even know what to do with this. We don't even know what uh, what we could even um, demo at the end of the day, or should we even have anything to, to show? And I think um, this problem they brought up is very interesting because it, it, it intersects through uh, the startup scene. It also intersects through the kind of like the industrial scene as well. And we, we do have, in a way, boilerplate codes, boilerplate apps that we put you know, on our website to say, hey, you know, this could inspire you. If you use this to, um, this could be some of the potential outcomes. And I think it's something that, um, know, after you brought it up, it's something that we actually have to take a deep look into afterwards. Um, but I must say, uh, we do help larger companies like um, Rolls-Royce, for example, like we went for their innovation challenge. You know, they have tons of data, tons of critical um, data that um, the scientists there, you know, they, they, they don't even know what to do with it. And in some ways, I like to believe that um, no-code tools or, you know, startups that help accelerate certain process also help to accelerate some imagination of what certain MVP or perhaps um, some app could look like at the end of the day. So I would say, yes, like for sure, we would definitely come up with a better way or we should come up with a better way to um, market ideas or uh, in some sense, like a like a mini demo thing, demo day, as you said. I think that's real, really an interesting idea. Yeah, and I think that should definitely be done. And I think it's kind of like advice that you actually gave the audience, like people who start no code should, apart from accelerating their journey, help them imagine what the journey could be at. And I think that's really important. Wait, this is wonderful. Can you start something like a, a demo-ton or a data ton that will become your own brand where you give data and you let people use 
data churn for a specific amount of time to find the most innovative use of data through your platform and therefore it becomes some kind of event uh, even if it's online or virtual that will create buzz and within the uh, founder and startup scene they will keep hearing oh did you hear about the data churn event or uh, innovation ton or i don't know how you will call <laughs> yeah. it that will be preferable to you and therefore you open two things one people who will have some innovative way of using that data using your platform will show all the potential of that and it will be more public and to the right people rather than buried somewhere on your website which is not really the best way for all that useful brilliant stuff and it basically gives people firsthand experience and in marketing what is even better than a customer is a referral person which means that person who will, will use your product they will go speak about it to 10 or 20 people and that's free marketing is this something that you may consider and it's because it's an event there is excitement and buzz and thinking and it gives you also more credibility and things it doesn't have to be expensive it can be an online event or even though you know you can even work with your partners and say look um you can uh, can you give us during this specific time, we can even put your name in addition uh, with ours so that you give us cheaper uh, during that access to the resources and the databases and everything during that time so that it's not really too expensive. And therefore, you create some kind of event or you make it like for people, you make it like those uh, Dota 2 or something events <laughs> where there are where there are sponsors and there are people watching and cheering and teams and therefore you get enough money to cover the costs and you create some kind of event which is the data chair olympics or something like that and therefore because your what is happening is this your marketing is there it's obvious the biggest need is exactly that there are people the founders they have the intention already of getting private equity funding. And therefore, the, to them, if they're thinking in terms of that funding, your cost to them is negligible. And therefore, what we need to is to let them realize all the ways that you are not just a tool, but you are more than a necessity. You are a weapon for them to win that competition to get that uh, investment compared to other startups. So while other startups will get with a historical and pre-archaic kind of MVPs that are video demos or whatever, you give them live demos that will impress uh, the venture capitalists and get you a higher probability than everyone else. You're like the secret weapon for them to get that VC money, as well as do something very important. What if their uh, startup is a unicorn? If they give any percentage to someone because they need them, maybe that's worth billions in the future. Are you willing to sacrifice today billions just to save uh, 3,000 or uh, 4,000, uh, you know? dollars and it mm -hmm. saves you from needing to hire someone who is a lot more expensive and dealing with the taxes and dealing with having to manage them and you know people can make uh, mistakes and errors and there will be bugs while yours take care of everything they outsource to you the headaches and get all the glory of that demo day and they have watched it and saw it live uh, through all those uh, uh, demotons where people came and used data using your 
to a platform in incredible ways. And therefore, you're not just a no-code tool, but you're actually now to a contributing member of the community because you organize events and that's not anybody. You're now like a big deal in the space because you are in charge of uh, allowing innovation by people with ideas to not need to use coding and to come and create things that were not created before because what you truly stand for is creativity and those breakthrough ideas that will change the future. And therefore, even any money that they will pay you, they are supporting a company that is supportive of creative ideas and the future of humanity and the future of technology. And therefore, it's totally an investment and you are their partner in them winning that demo day for the VC. And without you, well, they either have to open books and learn again and make mistakes and create bugs that might humiliate them during that demo day if something goes wrong. And it went wrong for a lot of people like Elon Musk and even Steve Jobs. So don't be that person because you're not famous enough to recover from it <laughs> like them. But, uh, you know, small guy, he can totally lose his whole reputation. So you, this is even deeper. So, Yen, you help them shine in that demo day and protect their reputation from the humiliation that comes from human error because your platform saves them from the need to learn they need to hire another human who can make the error it's totally there it's guaranteed it's impressive much more than while their competitors are coming with videos you have a live demo so it's next level and therefore they can have that glory they can have that money that will let their company grow, they can save their business because it's not right that great ideas stay buried or die because you're not demonstrating it in a good way because you didn't have the technology. And this time, the, the way things look is as important as the technology behind it. So come, make it shine, make it be live, look wonderful, get that VC money, and whatever money you're paying, you're actually helping a company that is helping the whole community to and develop the creative ideas. And it's cheaper than the alternative. And it's nothing compared to that VC money. And look at so many people coming up with so many great ideas in our uh, events that show you all the possibilities so that even you are impressed. Imagine how the VC's faces will look when you shine on that day. What do you think about this? Wow. Well, I think that's really that's really a neat idea. You know what I love about this, you know, this session we're having is, you know, I'm actually learning about all this all this thing, you know, like and, and I could sense the enthusiasm in that. And I think there's a lot of value ideas here, especially um, you know, uh about having certain competition, you know, having certain uh data ton, right, that is hosted by us. And I think and I think that's totally a viable idea that, you know, like like I promise you, like we are definitely gonna go back. So think about it. Because um just Last month, we recent we, we collaborated with a with a lecturer, um, to say, hey, we will facilitate this software to forty of the students, and the students weren't even computer scientists. Uh, they are engineers, uh, who are studying uh drone drone movements, and you know, like, and we didn't think much of it. You know, we thought it's maybe just a time for students to try it out. Um, perhaps we're just doing a student uh perhaps like a nice favor so that they can perhaps get up to speed with their project. But, you know, the way after I listened to what you said about this, I, I really think it's further more important that we put this uh, in more people's hands because, um, you know, what we're trying to do here, as you said, is trying to democratize access to um, image recognition um, and machine learning in general. And, and you know, like, 
and, and the value would be clear, right? Because people don't spend hours over hours reinventing the wheels where, you know, they could just be spending the time building a better product for demo day, building a, a, a more polished um, right, uh, UX instead of having to deal with this error, that data error. And yeah, I definitely agree with you because um, a lot of time when, you know, when we speak to these founders, a lot of time when we speak to uh, researchers or even students these days, um, you know, we never really, we, we, we learned that we had to switch hats um, quite fast because they belong to different segments. But now that you talk about it, if I were to take a step further, they all seem to be the same people um, in terms of need, right? The need to prove that they could get certain ideas across, the need to quickly outshine, uh, you know, quickly bring their ideas to light, to, you know, to in front of the VCs, to more customers uh, at the early stage, you know, and, and you know, tools like this do help them. So I think definitely for sure, um, you know, that could be a marketing, that should be a marketing um, tactic uh, moving forward. And we are, we are hoping to launch on, on Product Hunt uh, in March. And, you know, what I think, I think we would start this Datathon thing, uh, perhaps locally, partnering with university um, by the end of this year. And for sure, I'll definitely send you a tweet to let you know when that best happened. It's awesome. And make like some kind of YouTube uh, channel or everywhere where every time there is a way that someone used DataChart to do something, post it and share it with everyone in video form, maybe even invest a little bit in showing this is how it will look like with the old way uh, of using a video that is not so good and look how great it looks when it's uh, using DataChart and it's a live thing. So it's like those advertisement for the diets were before and after that's your uh, whole marketing it should be before and after because you have something great it doesn't even need to change the message it's self-evident in many ways just that people need to see what is possible and the way for you to show them is well show them before look how uh, clunky and ugly it would look if people try to do it themselves and look how wonderful it does and then also interviews of with people who are using yours and are impressed and they say oh i began using data sure i thought that i only needed xyz but wow now my i ha i'm using so many xyz things and just fill those interviews and before and after everywhere you can because that is what needs to be communicated definitely definitely i think you know i'm still in, i'm still in shell shock from you know all this burst of ideas you know just coming at me right right through my right through my brain and yeah i, I think for sure i think there's so much avenue you know to 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 market to uh, this segment of people and i think you know yeah for sure you know after we launch we're definitely going to um, tackle some of these things that you said and yeah for sure uh, I will update you on the wonderful results that you know we are sure I look forward to yeah. it and now you're not a no-code tool anymore we took it deeper you're not Webflow or anything like that with full respect to Webflow I'm just saying now you're not just a tool you are necessary it's like you become the way that they will succeed not just an optional thing but do they want to compete with everyone and lose their competitive advantage? Or do they want something that will get them exactly what they want to shine on that demo day to do so many things that would not be possible without you, all the ideas that our people are coming up with, and to get that VC investment, which means now, instead of thinking, oh, they're too expensive, instead they're thinking, I need this. Do I want the VC money or uh, not? Now it's uh, self-evident your value even more than before because they see it 
and people are talking about it and they see the before and after. Please, you know, to conclude, share anything that you wish to share, just any advice to the community or thoughts or anything like that, as well as websites or ways for people to learn more about Datature and to connect with you if they wish. Sure. So I think kind of my parting message to perhaps um, the starting the people who are just starting out or researchers who are hoping to spin off into a startup, I think my message is always, you know, um, the journey is going to be tough. Uh, the scene is going to be different. Uh, but hold in there because you guys have a lot of this cutting research that you could commercialize yourself. And, you know, for sure, the journey is going to be just as wonderful as, you know, your academic journey. And yes, and I'm happy to speak to anyone who, you know, wishes to launch certain products in the machine learning space or the image recognition space. Um, you know, you can find us up on uh, datature.io or you can just look me up on LinkedIn and I'm happy to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I will put all the links in the description of this episode. It was an honor and pleasure and so enjoyable to speak with you. Kitchen, thank you and have a great day. Thank you, Aziz. You have been wonderful. Good night. Mm-hmm.